you guys have your Bibles, we're um, coming back into uh, our series of Romans. We'll be in Romans for another month. Uh, we still have quite a bit left to do. Uh, we're going to be looking at this text, the Romans 8 text. So I still got Romans 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I got quite a bit to, oh, not me, you. You're doing the homework as well. But we're going to look at Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. We're going to actually look at that text that they were talking about. So this is kind of like your Bible study. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Oh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How, do we, how will he not also be graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church? That should have been an immediate amen. Like, ooh, amen. But it's interesting we see the introductory question here in this passage. What shall we say? This Paul is referring, actually, if you're reading along with the letter given to this church, as we look at chapters 6 and 7, Paul refers to us walking and living by the Spirit, being justified in him, just if you weren't sinning. Being spiritually adopted, we had talked about that in our last sermon. Given a new name, a new family, a new destiny. Becoming co-heirs with Christ. No longer slaves, but his children, in, in which we then call out, Abba, Father. Given a future glory with him that the spirit intercedes for those that are earnestly seeking the father do we hear the question this morning if god is for all all for you then who is against you who can bring a charge of condemnation against you well immediately the context, the, the content, the, what comes to me, what comes to my mind is the enemy, Satan. Satan is 
the chief liar. He is the great deceiver. He is the cheater. He, is, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job. That's his only thing that he wants to do. He will always condemn you with shame. Look at this quote that I have from a really great researcher um, named Brene Brown. She talks about shame. She's done her research on shame. Guilt and shame are both emotions of self-evaluation. However, that is where the similarities end. The majority of shame researchers agree that the difference between shame and guilt is best understood as the differences between I am bad, shame, and I did something bad, guilt. Shame is about who we are and guilt is about our behaviors. If I feel guilty for cheating on a test, my self-talk might sound something like, I should not have done that. That was really stupid. Cheating is not something I believe in or want to do. But if I feel shame about cheating on a test, my self-talk is more likely to sound like, I'm a liar and a cheat. I'm so stupid. I'm a bad person. Who's standing and condemning you? Who's whispering that lie into your ear that, that says, don't feel like godly grief, but to pour and heap on that shame? Maybe it is the enemy. But I thought about it as like, who else can raise a charge against me? Maybe it's God. Or maybe my warped sense of or understanding of who God is and his character. Maybe I have a warped or just bad theology. Like I'm thinking that I still need to try to earn God's favor and God's grace. Do we think at that moment that God is waiting to, to, to strike us down like with this lightning bolt if we, if we make a mistake? Or do we see God as the ultimate killjoy? Like he just wants us to live in constant dread and become like robotic Christian, you know, mechanoids that just come to church and do everything. Like we can't have fun. Or is, it, is it maybe God like the ultimate Santa Claus where, you know the song, he's coming to town, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. If you're naughty, you're nice. See, the warped theology, a warped understanding of who God is, that could be condemning as well. Maybe there's others. You know who they are. The haters are going to hate. You've got enemies. You've got people that just want, they are waiting. They're watching you. You're under the microscope. They're watching you, and they're ready for you to make a mistake. As soon as you fail and fall, they go, see? See, 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 I told you. Oh, this holier-than-thou thing would just finally come to a pass. This is, this is not a phase. See, you're still a screw-up. I remember uh, uh, in America, we were driving, I saw a bumper sticker, and it said, Christians aren't perfect. We're forgiven. But there's people out there in our lives our Facebook friends, our Instagram followers that are waiting, wanting us to fail. Maybe they are the ones that are condemning us. 
And the last is, maybe it's you. Maybe you haven't looked in a mirror since 1975. Because something happened, right? Something happened in 85, 95, 2005. Something happened where the shame, like Brene Brown talked about, is that I'm not feeling that bad guilt that I did something, but I am bad. And sadly, too often, we are our own worst enemy. We listen to the others. We listen to the lies of the enemy. We do not look at our own selves, the imagio Dei, the image of God that God created, and all we see is disgust. We look not at mercy and grace. Like the video that we saw this morning, I don't have nothing, but I got something. Something. He, at the end, he's like, yeah, but my something happened last night. Something is separating, or you think something is condemning you and separating you from the love of Christ. But Paul, I love in this scripture, is if he took out his physician's prescription pad. Some of you guys are doctors. You, you have that ability to, to, to read, you know, what needs to be done. Like, oh, John, like, cough and, and or, you know, take a, take a specimen or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, this is what you need. Here's the medicines you need. Paul reminds the entire church, here's the medicine. The first is, Jesus died. He died. He took all the sins he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Second is that he rose again. He's risen and he's risen indeed. We celebrate that, not just on Easter, but every day that he rose. He beat death. Out of all the religions in the world, all of them say, follow me. Follow my, my rules, follow my precepts, follow my, my, my eightfold path or whatever it is. But only Jesus said, follow me. And he rose. The third is, he sits at the right hand of God. There's something about in Jewish tradition where a rabbi, when he sits down, it says him saying, this matter is finished. That salvation thing that you're worried about, it is finished. My son... My, I love this world so much, I sent my only son to die and to, to be risen so that it could cheat death, it could beat death, and it could restore you, reconcile you, and place you in heaven. And the fourth thing is, he also intercedes for us. Now, I love this Greek word, it's called enchinano, and it, deal, it literally means making intercession, but a petition. So in this instance, Paul's using, again, the idea of the court system. So you have the judge, which is God. Then you have the prosecutor. And then you have the attorney. Everyone thinks that Jesus is like the prosecutor. He's the one that's coming against you and saying, you did this, you did this, you've done this. He's judging, judging, judging. But in this case, in this text, he's like, no, no, no. Jesus is the attorney of law. He's your defense attorney. So every time the enemy comes and says, 
Just like in the book of Job, he says, oh, but, you know, Chrisley, you did this, or, or Victor, you did that. Jesus is saying, hold the cart, hold on, hold on, hold on, but I know Victor. This guy, he's done this, 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 and this. And by the way, I've justified him. What you see, you don't see Victor, you see my son Jesus. Amen? Every time the, the, the condemnation comes, and he goes, yes, but this is what Jen did last night. And this is what, this is what whoever did this, like Tim. He goes, Jesus says, no, 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 hold on. And he is your defense attorney. His brief on you is as thick. He knows every single thing about you. And he has no problem every day, every moment, 24-7, 365, he will stand before God and say, whoa, stop. That, that charge, you cannot charge him with that. You cannot charge him with that. That is a falsehood. That is a lie. Do you believe that this morning, that Jesus Christ is the intercessor? A lot of people think, oh, intercessions, I'm, I'm praying for the nations. But in this Greek word, encinado, it literally means defense attorney. He's more, he's better than Matlock. He, I don't know if you guys know that reference. Better than law and order. Like he, he knows everything about you. And he will stand and say, no way. You have no condemnation. No charge against Ken, John, Stephen. No charge. I love that. So therefore, what are these things that can separate us then? Because there's all these things that, it's as if the enemy's saying, it's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Affliction, hardship, or peril. No. The disasters and the traumas of the world do not separate you from the love of Christ. If anything, and it's been a proven fact, they bind people together in the love of Christ. Life or death, we live with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit but in death we die with him. And because we die with him, we too rise with him. Death is a graduation to glory. That's why we sometimes say in Christian circles, it's a celebration of life. My first celebration of life was weird. I became a Christian. My friend's mom passed away. She was this icon in the church. Can you imagine this, this she was oh, the, one of the matriarchs of the church. And my friend, I wanted to be there for him. So he says, come to my mom's celebration of life. I'm like, that's weird. We would just call it a funeral. And I'd be, like, I've never been to a funeral either. You know, it's like that first, you all remember your first memorial, your first funeral. And if you haven't, in time, you will. I remember going to the church, packed to the gills, people in the balcony, people here. It was just crazy. Pastor came up, and I thought it would be some, like, Spirito Santo, so, like, just this really, like, somber thing. The band came up and started singing songs. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed, that's the, those are the songs back then, folks. Sorry. <laughs> the name of the Lord is a strong tower. She knows what I'm talking about. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. No joke, we're doing the song and the actions at this lady's celebration of life. We're, and it's Pentecostal, so like, oh, they're like, we're just exciting. And the pastor comes up, and the, kid, the family comes up, and they're, they're somber, they're crying. But it was, death was not a, 
this was not a, a sad moment. They were all like, she's finally home. She's finally in glory. She is at the right hand of Jesus. Nothing separates us, not even death, the, the love of Christ. Angelic powers. In the time of the first century, Jews especially believed that there were like angels in most things. Wind, thunder, snow, hail, cold, heat. According to the rabbis, there were three levels or ranks of angels. The first was thrones, cherubim, seraphim. Two was power, lordships, or mites. Three, angels, archangels, and principalities. So, in their context, there was a lot of angelic movement. Paul challenges the church in Colos and Colos and with false teaching about the overuse and the focus on angels. Look at Colossians 2, say Colos and Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 10 to 15. It's on the screen here. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dread, who dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, these ranks of angels, but put them open to shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Here the church had in an unhealthy way, idolized and given too much emphasis to these rulers and authorities. Paul reminds them of Christ's finished work on the cross and the disar disarming truth that we need to remember and to focus on. We live in a culture, even to this day, with a deep kind of fascination with mystical things and even the and angelic. We have to be very careful that we don't worship the beings, but we remember to worship God. Present and future, regardless of our chronos time, God operates outside space and time. He is kairos time. He lives within that divine heaven meet earth space. Powers, no malign influences will separate us from God. Height and depth, this is the connection to Matariki. This was considered astrological terms, where you were born in the height of a certain beginning stage of a constellation, so Cancer or Sagittarius or Capricorn. Or you were the depth, the end cycle of Leo or Libre. They are powerless Constellations, astrological terms are powerless to separate you from the love of Christ. Now remember, this was written to Rome in the first century. So for us, if you are into the daily horoscopes and stuff like that, and I've met people that are very big on like, I'm a Sagittarius and I shouldn't 
marry someone that's a cancer. Like, that's what back then everyone was into, is when you were born and how it connected to the night sky. But Paul is saying, listen, it's not about whatever constellation it is. The constellation of when you were born, the height of the depth of it, will never separate you from the love of Christ. No other world or anything else in all creation. Paul uses the word heteros, which means different. Literally means this. He goes, another different or another world or dimension. Sounds like a bit of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they're the multiverse. But I think Paul's even shoring up all the loose ends that even if there is an extra dimension, that won't separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I love that video. Nothing. Nothing is something. We can stand tall and know with 100% assurance that nothing can and will never wedge its way between us and the love of Christ. I'm going to invite our band to return to the stage. Why do we all stand? Today's sermon was a bit of a snapshot, a very simple text that we're looking at this morning. But it is still something that we need to wrestle with. What if you came this morning, and like the video, maybe you got something that you feel is separating you from God. What is that? We've gone through this laundry list of things that, I, that can't separate you. But what if, and I have had people come up to me and say, oh, pastor, but not me. And I've looked at them like, what do you mean, not me? He's like, oh, but the things I've done, I can't darken the church stoop. I'm like, I still don't understand what that means, that you could never darken the, the church door. Belong, believe, become is what we say outside our door. There's an opportunity for you to come with your something this morning and place it at the foot of the cross and ask God to forgive you, to heal you, and to restore you. Because Jesus is your defense attorney. And he is saying to you, you are innocent. Nothing that you did to deserve it, but it's through God's grace, through faith. As we go into this next song, I want you to come before the Lord and repent. In other words, give God, surrender to God your something so you could be clean and washed and refreshed spiritually from the inside out. Amen, church? Let's do some heart work.